edition of the Auburn Undercover Podcast here on the 24-7 Sports Network, auburnundercover.com. My name is Nathan King. Hope everybody is having a good week. Got a pretty fun interview lined up for you guys. Auburn had two big additions to the football program earlier this week. Both guys are now signed. I'm talking about Dylan Brooks, the four-star edge rusher. Um, an Alabama product, an in-state guy who was signed with Tennessee, then was begging and pleading the new Tennessee staff to release him from his national letter of intent once Jeremy Pruitt was fired, um, and then Auburn was in play for him then. It was pretty much a foregone conclusion if you followed Keith Niebuhr's recruiting coverage on our website. You knew that Dylan Brooks was coming to Auburn, and now they've got him locked up. And then another guy that is going to kind of lead us into a bigger discussion about the transfer portal because Auburn is about to um, probably work the transfer portal pretty hard. They've still got three roster spots left that they're going to try to fill. Um, They will likely fill all three of them. We know that offensive tackle is going to be a position they'll go after. They were having conversations with Tyler Shuck, the Oregon quarterback transfer, so maybe quarterback uh, a depth piece behind Bo Nix is in play as well. But Dreshawn Miller uh, is the number two cornerback prospect in the transfer rankings, in the 24-7 sports transfer rankings, behind only Tyreek Stevenson, who was a really, really good player for Georgia. He goes to Miami. Um, so a really highly rated defensive back comes from West Virginia and commits to Auburn, and he's now signed with Auburn. And so wanted to talk to Chris Hummer, who covers the transfer portal for 24-7 Sports. He's a national writer, but he uh, puts more of a focus on the portal because really, I mean, not only for Auburn, but for college football in general because of the one-time transfer rule coming up where players will be able to play immediately after they transfer their first time transferring in their college careers. Um, This is just going to continue to grow. The transfer portal is going to continue to grow. Brian Harson, Auburn's new head coach, has already talked about it multiple times that this is just the reality uh, coaches live in now. And so you've either got to get good at it in terms of your roster building skills or you're going to fall behind. So wanted to kind of set that scene a little bit with you guys uh, and, and, and prepare Auburn fans for the transfer portal that we're going to be, you know, sitting here and observing a lot more of most likely not only over the next few months as Auburn looks to fill out its roster, but also over the next few years and moving forward because it's going to be a really big part of the sport. So we'll get to our interview with Chris Hummer right now. And then at the end of the show, we'll talk a little bit of Auburn basketball, some pretty big Auburn basketball news um, in terms of Sharif Cooper. If you haven't heard already, we'll talk about that at the end of the show and we'll get to the interview with Chris right now. And now we have a special guest on to talk all things Transfer Portal. It is Sir Chris Hummer, a national college football writer for the 24-7 Sports Network with a focus on the Transfer Portal. Um, And obviously Auburn has been very involved in that recently. They got Dreshawn Miller earlier this week, the big-time West Virginia cornerback transfer. Um, And really it's just been a wild offseason and a wild season. And Chris, we were talking a little bit before we got on about how um, it's just going to get crazier and this is just kind of the norm now. Um, first of all, you, you wrote a story today about Auburn's offseason additions and Brian Harson and what he's kind of done outside of the uh, standard 2021 class in terms of bringing people on with Dylan Brooks, who's not a transfer, um, and Dreshawn Miller. Um, what is just kind of your – talk about that story a little bit and, and kind of your overall opinion of 
what Brian Harson did here externally when you look at the 2021 class and just how common is that now um, for coaching staffs to replenish their class a little bit using the transfer portal? Yeah, I don't, I don't have any numbers to back this up, but I don't think there's a more difficult job for an incoming head coach than a transition class. Um, especially when you're a guy like Brian Harson, you come in after the early signing period when 70 to 80% of signees are already off the board, like asking that coach to come in, not only win over his new team and keep players in, but also recruit new players to come. is just so difficult. And I think it's a credit to him, not only that Auburn kind of shot up their recruiting rankings before national signing day, but that he was able to kind of creatively add somebody like Dylan Brooks, an instant impact guy, a guy who I think wants to play off the edge for Auburn and could be a really interesting piece right away to essentially flip him from Tennessee, be opportunistic as that program has its own kind of um, shakeup at the top is really smart recruiting and to fill holes in the transfer portal, which is what you talked about, I think is the thing in college football right now. We see it at a place like Florida state, where I think Mike Norvell is adding 10 plus transfers for the second cycle in a row. Like if you're not going to recruit at a high level right away, why take a risk on a guy who's kind of down your board in high school, a kind of low three-star guy who might be a developmental player right away when you can go add somebody who's going to make a difference for your team immediately as you kind of not necessarily rebuild at a place like Auburn, but reload the roster kind of on the fly. And Drayshon Miller is a great example of that. He was one of the more underrated cornerbacks in the Big 12 last year. He's the former number one overall cornerback in the JUCO ranks. He's kind of an NFL guy if things pan out for him. And he should be able to at least be a two deep guy for Auburn right away. And I would be shocked if he wasn't starting. So adding all that in your first month, essentially, while making inroads and connections, I think is a really smart way to go about it. Yeah, I think a lot of people around here, well, some people around here, have learned to wait a little bit before having your hot takes <laughs> and your opinions of a recruiting class. Maybe maybe hold I, off I think, a little while because, like you said, yeah, the transfer portal takes a while. I think some people have probably been better on the planes. I know Auburn, like many other programs nationally, I, I don't blame fans for getting upset right away because a number like 40th in the country looks really weird when you're Auburn and the recruiting things for sure. Yeah, they were 40, 47th, 48th, I think, when months started. Um, so crazy turnaround to get into the top 20. Um, yeah, they've got a pretty quick trigger here at Auburn. They're pretty, uh, they're pretty fast to um, get their opinions out. I, you were talking about Mike Norvell in Florida State. That's, that's one program. Um, you, I believe this is, correct me if it was not your story, on Jake Spavital and Texas State. Talk to me about that crazy transfer situation and what their recruiting class was this year and kind of how does that sort of holistically when you're looking at the sport as a whole how does that sort of illustrate what the transfer portal means right now yeah I guess if Auburn fans think 47th is bad I think Texas State ranks like 187th in the country Uh, (laughs) when there are only 130 FPS teams uh, that kind of sticks out but Texas State hasn't signed a single high school player uh, in 2021 I talked to Jake Spavital about that kind of the strategy behind it essentially they got to December. They weren't really in a position to sign any guys on their board that they were really high on. So they decided to go all transfers. Um, they signed, I believe, 11 transfers this cycle, uh, 10 from the FBS and kind of FCS ranks and one from the JUCO ranks. And they're not adding a single high school player this cycle. They might end up doing it later. They have 10 more counters. But Jake Spavadol is essentially going the route that Texas State needs to get better. 
that program has struggled since it kind of came up from the FCS ranks. Everett Weathers really struggled there before Jake Spavital kind of arrived. And with the NCAA granting an extra year of eligibility, Jake Spavital figured he already has a freshman class on campus. So why not kind of dip in there and get as much experience on the roster as possible, uh, given that Texas State was going to have 70% of its roster be underclassmen anyway. So that's a really extreme strategy. I don't think Jake Spavadol is going to be quite to that level in the transfer portal in the future, but he said it's not any different than he's recruited before. He came from a place at West Virginia that I'll, under Dana Holgerson that always leaned really heavily on transfers. And I think for some programs, maybe not Auburn, but for a place like Texas State, it makes a lot of sense to go heavy on the transfers because you're upgrading at talent positions that you wouldn't necessarily be able to get out of the high school kind of ranks. Yeah, certainly intriguing to see the different types of programs and uh, you know, on different levels of the sport and how they kind of approach this thing. It seems like Auburn, so Auburn's actually at 85 scholarship players right now, but of course that number um, essentially doesn't <laughs> mean anything. Yes. Right. That's that number doesn't mean anything right now because of the seniors and what they mean. So um, Keith, our recruiting guy thinks that they have three more spots left. So that would mean probably five transfer players in this class. Is that sort of a normal number when you're looking at the national scene and, and what are some other programs that like, to go above that is his five kind of normal when you're looking at the whole sport. I think talking to coaches, especially coaches at a place like Auburn, those blue blood schools that think they can win national championships. Five is a little high. Um, usually the best programs in the country are going to save one to three spots for transfers. You're plugging in holes kind of on your roster. Landon Dickerson, who went from Florida state to Alabama is a great example of that started for Alabama. The last two years at center was one of the best players in the country. Like they upgraded over Chris Owens at that position and it helped him win a national championship. But kind of as you expand the scope out, it can, it can really, it can really change. Like a place like Auburn signs five. That's not that unusual. We've seen like SMU, Florida state, Texas state, and quite a few other programs sign 10 plus in a cycle. Um, I think on average, you're probably going to see programs save three to seven scholarships uh, for the transfer portal and to make additions like that. So it's really it's situation dependent, but every coach I've talked to about the transfer portal is stressed that they will be saving spots now for a last second edition in the spring or maybe in the fall, a guy that maybe you can't say no to if they kind of knock on your door and no coach wants to miss out on that opportunity. Now the transfer portal is a legitimate kind of portion of the strategy recruiting wise. We talked about this a little bit before we started, um, but you think there's going to be a lot of players this off season um, struggling to find a home is how big is the differential between the amount of in ingoing transfers into the portal and the amount of open spots across all kinds it's of programs? pretty significant um, we already hit a record in terms of number number of players in the transfer portal uh, for this cycle and it took six and a half months to kind of inc like to reach the number we saw kind of enter the portal the first two years in a 12-month cycle so there are way more players going in this year. And if you just look at kind of the data from the initial cycle in 2018-19, uh, I did kind of a check into that. And essentially 54.3% of former three-star players on the FBS level did not end up staying with an FBS team. So they either went to JUCO, they went to the FCS, or they didn't play at all. So more than half of players who enter the portal are going to end up dropping down a level. Um, in some cases, that's what they choose to do. They want to play more. So these players are kind of taking the opportunity to continue their career and to have the opportunity to see the field. But for a lot of guys who are maybe 
hoping to stay in the power five or stay in the FBS. Like that's not going to happen simply because you're going to run out of spots. Like these schools do not have kind of the room for that. And I think we're at like 13.6 transfers per school on average right now. And uh, there's just, as we talked about before with Auburn saving five spots, like there are just not that many kind of open spots for kids to kind of jump into. There's a couple guys um, that left Auburn who obviously hoping they're not going to be in that situation, hoping they're going to be able to find good landing spots. You've had a couple different stories with running back Mark Anthony Richards, a guy that Auburn fans were really high on last season um, and offensive lineman Kamar Bell. What can you tell us about those two guys? I know you had an update about a week or two ago, I think. Um, what can you s- tell me about both those guys um, and what kind of programs they might be leaning toward? Yeah, shout out to Mark Anthony Richards, who I, I'm a big fan of too. He's just a cool kid, but uh, he's yeah, supposed he's to graduate. Great. He's supposed to graduate soon in like essentially two and a half years, which is a hell of a thing. Uh, and I would be surprised at this point if he did not end up at UCF. I think things were trending that way before Gus Monzon got the job. And now that Gus, kind of the coach who recruited him, is there along with a couple staff members from Auburn. Like, I, I would be surprised if he doesn't end up back home in Florida. Um, in terms of Kamar Bell, he's down to three schools, kind of keeping it close to the vest. But it's FAU, Eastern Kentucky, and Old Dominion. Um, he told me he already signed, so he's just kind of waiting to announce. But he's going to end up either uh, kind of dropping down to the G5 level or the FCS potentially with Eastern Kentucky. So, yeah, those two at least have some options for sure. I, that's pretty cool about Mark Anthony getting – I knew he was a big Gus guy when he was here. So when I saw that in your story, I was like, okay, that makes a lot of sense. I think he could probably do a lot of damage there. Um, last question, Chris. Appreciate you coming on the podcast. Obviously, everybody in the transfer portal who works the transfer portal, um, the coaches year in and year out, want a Joe Burrow. They want a Justin Fields. Um, but the Landon Dickerson example is a really good one that you made other than the superstar splashy quarterbacks, or you can include one if you want, who are a couple, um, you know, maybe three, if you want to help the runtime of guys in the portal right now, who you think maybe at this time next season, will have talked about them having really, really big 2021 campaigns. If we're talking about, if we're just going to keep it kind of in the category of schools that are going to compete for in the national scene. So like, people who could win their conference. I think a good place to start is Mike Jones Jr. Going from Clemson to LSU. LSU desperately needed help at linebacker this offseason. Um, they lost Jabril Cox, who was kind of their best player on the second level last year. Um, they didn't have much kind of coming back, despite the fact that their secondary is one of the best in the country. That's a bit, Their linebacker group is a big reason why LSU finished 127th nationally in yards per play, which is just crazy when you kind of think about it. And I think Mike Jones, who comes over from Clemson, he was a starter there, a freak athletically. He's not quite Isaiah Simmons, but he can do a lot of the same things Isaiah Simmons did for Clemson. Um, he is capable of covering. He's a side-to-side linebacker. He plays off ball. Um, I think he's a first or second round draft pick if he has a good season for LSU. I think that's a huge pickup for a team looking to rebound. Um, if you're talking about other people who can contribute to contenders that are not quarterbacks, I think Eric Gray, who I believe was the number four overall player transfer wise for us in our rankings. Um, Oklahoma's losing Ramondre, Steven- Ramondre Stevenson at running back. Um, that group is pretty young outside of Gray who comes in after an excellent season at Tennessee. I think Eric Gray could be a superstar right away for Oklahoma. I would not be surprised if he's an all big 12 or kind of all American candidate, given the way Oklahoma's offensive line and that system sets up. 
I expect him to do huge things. Um, kind of scanning our list right now. Uh, if we want to talk about somebody a little further down our rankings, Charleston Rambo, a wide receiver from Oklahoma, ironically, going to Miami is really big. Derek King was great last year, man. Like pinpoint accuracy really kind of helps that program elevate, but his receivers did no favors for him. I think Miami's receivers dropped 8% of their passes last year. Um, Charleston Rambo helps elevate that room a little bit, gives them a little bit more consistency. So those three guys, I think, are going to have a major impact next season for that kind of contending class in college football. He is Chris Hummer, national college football writer for 24-7 Sports, um, doing a lot of stuff in the transfer portal. If you want all the info, I just learned a ton in the past 20 minutes. If you want all that info, you can go follow him on Twitter at Chris underscore Hummer. Hopefully I got that right. Um, Chris, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. Really, really appreciate it. We're going to get to a quick break, and we'll be right back on the Auburn Undercover podcast. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. So Auburn basketball just cannot catch a break in the injury department. Obviously, freshman guard Justin Powell has missed double-digit games now. He hasn't played since the beginning of the SEC schedule after suffering a really severe concussion. It's, It's looking really unlikely that he'll come back this season and now... Another great Auburn player, Auburn's best player, Justin Powell, is probably one of Auburn's top three best players this season. But Auburn's best player by far, Sharif Cooper, after missing 11 games at the beginning of the season during the NCAA investigation, he sat out amid some eligibility concerns, came back, played 12 games, probably one of the most impactful players in the country um, in just a 12-game stretch. I mean, it only took a few games for him to jump onto NBA draft boards. He'll he'll be an NBA player if he wants to be after this season, um, and he can't catch a break either. He is now back on the sideline. He did not play in Auburn's loss, a 74-57 to loss to Florida on Tuesday night in Auburn Arena. He turned his left ankle, Bruce Pearl said, in practice on Sunday. So um, some people were kind of speculating that it might have been that hard fall he had in the LSU game. He fell down on the court pretty hard in that game, and kind of winced and, and didn't get up for a few moments before he played through it, but actually it was the day after that, and so he was in a boot and had crutches on the bench tonight, and it's unclear whether he'll play. Obviously, Auburn's got three games left. They play Tennessee, they play Alabama, and then most likely the Mississippi State game that was canceled because of the inclement weather last week. Most likely that'll get rescheduled for the end of the season, so with three games left, I mean, we'll see. It's obviously up to Sharif Cooper. He's sort of got a decision now because if he is eyeing the the pro route and wants to go to the NBA again, you'd be hard-pressed to find NBA mock drafts now. For all of the criticisms that some Auburn fans have, have put on Sharif Cooper, obviously he does turn the ball over four and a half times a game, but really, um, unless you want to talk about his size, he's an incredibly crafty point guard who's got some elite court vision and the NBA has taken notice of that. Look, there was a NBA scout at the game tonight, and I guarantee he was there for Sharif Cooper. So, um, you know, he, Sharif has a decision to make now. Bruce will not, Bruce Pearl will not rush him back, obviously, just like he didn't rush back 
Justin Powell from the concussion. Um, Sharif's going to take all the time he needs, and if that is another three games, a.k.a. he doesn't play again this season, um, I think that's pretty likely just because of the NBA future that he has and if he's already made that decision. Now, it could also be a situation where I, I don't think if I'm an Auburn fan I would jump on immediately and say, okay, he's gone. Um, if he doesn't play these last three games and just assume that, okay, he's made an NBA decision and he's going to leave for the pros. I think even if he wanted to come back next season, you would look at the end of this year and say, okay, you know, it's kind of a lost season at this point. Auburn is obviously not going to, they already weren't going to the postseason. We'll get a little bit, talking a little bit more about that later, but they already, you know, had their postseason, um, self-imposed postseason ban. Their only goal was to win the SEC regular season championship because that was the only championship they could win this year. That goal was, you know, dashed long ago. So, you know, for Sharif, maybe he wouldn't play in order to come back next season and and just sort of have a clean bill of health heading into the offseason. But certainly something to monitor. Um, Bruce Pearl did say he's going to try to work back, that Sharif will attempt to uh, to try to get back. But at this point, it's too early to tell Auburn, certainly. Like they do with all injuries, the basketball program going the cautious route, not going to rush Sharif Cooper back to the court. Um, and without him, Auburn without a point guard again, as they've had to do a bunch of times this season before he was ruled eligible when Justin Powell was running point, and then they didn't have Justin Powell either after he got hurt. So Alan Flanagan was again the team's starting point guard. Um, Jamal Johnson, who... Jamal Johnson, look, Auburn was so shorthanded in this game. They played two walk-ons. They played Lior Berman and Preston Cook, two walk-on guards. Preston Cook um, also played some time at point guard in the loss. They were so shorthanded in the backcourt, um, also because Jamal Johnson wasn't able to be 100%. He was dealing with flu-like symptoms, Bruce Pearl said, over the past 24 hours or so. And so they pumped him full of some fluids today, and it was his decision to play through it. Um, now, obviously, everybody is going to jump to conclusions, and, and you know, flu-like symptoms in the year 2021 is going to lead you to believe um, COVID. But Bruce Pearl said, you know, obviously, obviously, they took the precautions and everything that he needed to pass, all the hoops he needed to jump through in order to play. He had multiple negative COVID tests before the game, so don't worry about that at all. Um, but any, I mean, anyway, Auburn was incredibly shorthanded. Um, again, they still don't have a point guard without, when they don't have Sharif Cooper, I mean, Tyrell Jones, they had three at the beginning of the season. They had Tyrell Jones, they had Sharif Cooper, and then Justin Powell, even when Sharif Cooper was available and they thought they were going to have him, Justin Powell still was practicing at point guard just because Bruce Pearl wanted some extra depth at the position. Um, and now they don't have any of those guys right now. It remains to be seen whether Sharif Cooper will come back, but it's just kind of crazy to look at this team where, you had three point guards in the preseason, and now you're down to none. That really changes things for your offense. Um, it was the least amount of points Auburn scored at home, 57 points in 18 SEC games. They've now lost three straight home games for the first time since the 2015-2016 season, and they've lost six out of their last seven games. Look, since they beat Missouri, remember that game, Missouri was ranked number 12, and Auburn beat them in Auburn Arena. Since that game, seems like a lifetime ago, Auburn's lost six out of seven games. It's their worst stretch of games since they lost seven games in a row during the 2010-2011 season. If you're looking for any sort of positives from the game, um, I mean, Auburn fought really hard down the stretch in the second half. I think, you know, there's no way you can say this team quit. They did outscore Florida in the second half 35 
to 30. Devin Cambridge led Auburn in scoring with 14 points, but really it was just, I mean, the first half was just dreadful. Um, They had 13 turnovers. They shot only seven of 23 from the field. They cut down on both of those in the second half. You know, they, they shot a little bit better um, and they turned the ball over eight times in the second half compared to 13 in the first half. But it's just what Sharif Cooper does for this offense in terms of opening it up in terms of his court vision and his ability to get other playmakers involved. And he is your high is your leading scorer. And he's you know the third leading scorer in the SEC. He's the leading assist man in the SEC. I mean, his impact on the court really can't be overstated for this team. Um, people have been quick to point out some of his drawbacks over the past few games, um, and that's fine. Not No player is perfect, but you have to accept that he is Auburn's best player by far. Um, he's Auburn's best you know pro prospect right now by far, so not having him on the floor really, really affects things. Up next for Auburn is Saturday against Tennessee. That's an 11 a.m. game inside Auburn Arena. Um, Auburn has dominated that series as of late. That's the team that Auburn played last year before everything was shut down. Um, they blasted, I don't remember what the final score was, that they blasted Tennessee in Knoxville before the SEC tournament started, and then obviously everything was canceled due to COVID. Probably looking at a big favorite in Tennessee for that game on Saturday. They're in line for a double buy, or a, I don't know if it's a double buy or a single buy, but they're one of the top teams in the SEC. I believe they're the three seed right now for the SEC tournament. So um, they're lobbying for SEC position. They're lobbying for NCAA tournament position. So they're going to be very motivated in this game. And I mean, it's just been tough for Bruce Pearl to find a way to motivate this team. We've talked about it on here before, but when you don't have the edge that comes with playing for postseason position, um, that's just really difficult because over the past few years, I mean, you guys remember from watching Auburn basketball sort of fight and scratch and claw every single game trying to get ahead in SEC standings, trying to get a better position in the SEC tournament in certain seasons, trying to make the NCAA tournament. I mean, even the season they went to the Final Four, there was a stretch. I think they lost three out of four games, four out of five, something like that, where people were saying, all right, they're on the bubble. They might not make the NCAA tournament. So that's just a different type of motivation um, that Auburn doesn't have this season and so Bruce Pearl trying to find different ways to keep this team motivated and things only you know get harder without Sharif Cooper I mean Bruce was very transparent tonight and said that I mean how many more gut punches can this team take uh, I mean obviously the self-imposed ban was self-imposed it was their own personal decision to do so so that's not something that is one of these external factors but just the two injuries to your two of your best players because People don't remember how good Justin Powell was. He's one of the best freshmen in the country when he was playing and when he was healthy. And now you lose Sharif Cooper, who is an NBA lottery pick right now. So really difficult final stretch. They've got Tennessee. They've got Alabama um, after that. Obviously, I believe they're ranked number six in the country, number one team in the SEC. That game's in Tuscaloosa. That won't be easy. And then it looks like they'll probably close out the season at home on March 6th. That game has not been made official, but that looks like Bruce Pearl said that's probably when they're going to reschedule Mississippi State. So at least they'll get to close out the season at home. I wish I could come on here and discuss a win with you guys. Um, I know it's kind of a downer. We we get on here and we talk about the basketball team, and it's really been about a month, a month and a half uh, since this team has gone through a good stretch of play. Um, so looking ahead to the future, though, Jabari Smith, Auburn's five-star power forward signee, the highest-rated signee, in program history, was named the McDonald's All-American 
on Tuesday. That's huge. Um, that's easily the biggest honor besides, I guess, being named the player of the year in high school, the Naismith player of the year award, which Jabari Smith is also one of five finalists for, um, being a McDonald's all American is the biggest honor a high school player can get. Auburn's only had four of them in program history. Jabari Smith is the fourth. Um, you know, they don't, they only had two in program history before last year. And then now they've had two in as many years because he had Sharif Cooper last year and you had Jabari Smith this year. And, those guys could very well make for Auburn's third and fourth straight first round NBA draft picks. Talking Chumo Kiki, Isaac Okoro, Sharif Cooper. If he if he decides to leave this year, he's got first round NBA draft stock. And then people are looking way ahead, talking about Jabari Smith as a guy. Look, this guy draws comparisons to a young Giannis Antetokounmpo. I mean, he's a phenomenal player with a ton of athleticism, um, a ton of length, and a ton of ability on both sides of the floor. So, really exciting player. Trey Alexander, Auburn's shooting guard signee. He's a four-star prospect, the number one player in Oklahoma. He was also a nominee for the McDonald's All-America team. Um, ended up not making it, but another exciting player who's going to be on this roster next season. So, people are starting to really look ahead, but... You know, just enjoy these last few games. Hopefully, we get to see Sharif Cooper. Hopefully, we haven't seen Sharif Cooper in an Auburn uniform for the last time. Hopefully, um, he gets healthy fast, and hopefully, he's able to make a return. But obviously, if he isn't able to, and he makes a decision to, you know, shut things down and, and focus on his health, whether he wants to come back next year or not, whether he wants to head to the NBA, um, you know, it'll be really fun to watch him at that level, hopefully, but again, hopefully he's able to come back and play for Auburn, hopefully we haven't seen the last of him, really appreciate you guys listening to the show today, I really enjoyed that interview with Chris Hummer, I hope you guys did as well, if you guys like the podcast, please leave us a five-star review wherever you're listening to it, that really helps us out, that's the number one thing that helps us. And if you did not like it, or you have some suggestions, anything like that, shoot me a message on Twitter. My DMs are open. Um, you can also, if you're a subscriber and you want to DM me on our message boards, um, you can do that as well. Thanks to Beats by Mordecai. You can find him on SoundCloud, Twitter, Instagram, I believe. Um, thanks to Beats by Mordecai for the intro and outro beats on the podcast. He does a great job. Hope you guys are digging that, and I will see you guys in the next episode. Hope everybody has a great rest of the week.